Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Profit Minds podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Kirch, creator of the Profit Minds Growth System, a unique blend of profit growth, productivity acceleration, and building robust business process for scale. In every episode, I interview entrepreneurs and small business owners from around the world with a unique story to tell. You can find the show on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. Hi, everyone. Today, my guest is Chris Flett, founder of The Ghost CEO and a newfound friend. Today, we'll be talking about company growth and how to empower your visionary and silence your critic. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. Hey, so I always start this podcast with how did you get to where you are? Just tell tell the listeners your story because it's fascinating. Well, I uh, I guess how the story begins, and it seems like a lot of years ago, is I uh, grew up with a union stepdad and a mom who was a Scottish immigrant, and they really focused on education and, and finding a good job. And at that, uh, when I was 15, a good job was A&W, local burger joint. And, uh, you know, I, because my father, who was an entrepreneur, had kind of modeled the behavior of if you want something, you just go and work and create opportunities to pay for it. Uh, I ended up starting a lawn mowing business, which generated six figures my first year of doing. And I was 15, just mowing little lawns in mobile homes, or I guess you would call them maybe trailer parks. And uh, I got bit by the bug of making a lot of money, working kind of hard, but outside of the normal uh, margins of what people would expect you to do. I went to university. I went to do a business degree because I thought that was what I was supposed to do. I got kicked out because I was a jerk in class. The teachers at my community college, uh, ironically, my accounting teacher was my real accountant's bookkeeper. My legal ethics teacher was my lawyer's paralegal. And I would tend to argue with them in class over things that I had learned two or three years before. So really just, if you can imagine like a 19-year-old jerk, I, I was that under the dictionary. And so I got kicked out. They wouldn't admit me to third year. I wasn't a good student anyway. And I was uh, thinking, you know, that's great. I'll just go start a business. I have a good reason to not finish university. My Scottish mother uh, threatened in, in, in the kindest way possible that I would be murdered and never found if I didn't finish an undergrad degree. So I ended up doing a Bachelor of Arts. And uh, it's a good joke now because, you know, my Bachelor of Arts, people always think of, you know, what do they think? Basket weaving, uh, but, you know, doing pottery, which I actually did do pottery as a fine art class. But my my degree was history and philosophy, and the history was growth of American industry. So I studied how companies grew, and that that really grabbed my attention pretty deeply. And even now, I read normally a, a biography, you know, every week, every two weeks on how a business was built. And then my my minor was philosophy, but it was the Japanese business model. How do you build business with people for 30 years? And so after leaving that, I did a very, very short stint with the utility company in British Columbia. And uh, I started my first company called Think Tank, Think Tank Communications. We did, and everybody get ready because this is very exciting, economic development research for municipalities under 50,000 people. And basically, that's a really fancy way of saying we'd go to a town, look at what sucked about it, suggest to the municipality what businesses would make it cooler, go and get those businesses to come in and uh, Bob's your uncle, which is a Canadian statement for everything sorts itself out. Built that for seven years, exited, 
uh, on a really big deal. And GoCEO, which is the company that I oversee now, was always a pet project from like 99 to 2006. It was something that I did to offer mentorship in theory to uh, people my age, guys, where I'd have people to ski with in the winter and golf with in the summer. What it inevitably became is a professional training program for female entrepreneurs and female professionals. And, uh, you know, we kind of, there, there was nothing in 1999 for women. Everything was kind of a male model and women just had to adapt. We built our curriculum focused on women with female advisory board. And um, 2007, 2008, we became, to our understanding anyway, the world's leader in professional development for women. Now, of course, there is a big market for that and a lot of service providers, but we pride ourselves in having started that now 23 years ago. And so that's that's us now. Still, about 70% of our clientele are women, 30% are men. We have just shy of a thousand coaches in 10 countries and work in almost every industry except for restaurants. We don't touch retail and we don't touch much in technology, but every other industry we uh, we do coverage in. Well, that that's very interesting. Um, given that I have two girls, um, one of whom is an entrepreneur, um, I, I'm, I'm curious about the pivot that you made because you said it was, it was a, a chance to get you said guys that you could ski with in the winter time and golf with in the summer. Um, how, how did, how did that pivot come about? Why was it that all of a sudden you started working with women? Well, you know, by accident, I mean, I have a strong mother as I shared in a, in a previous story. My mom uh, is a no BS type of gal and, you know, because she made her way in life on her own accord, that was a, a model that I that I kind of saw up close and personal. And you know, I, I am I'm a big fan of targeting three niche markets at any given time just to hedge your bets, right? <clears throat> and so my initial market, the market I wanted the most was guys my own age. Just, you know, basically training people how to make money so that I would have friends to hang out with, you know, on Monday at two o'clock. Because most of my friends at that time were like 75-year-old retirees. And then I thought, okay, my second market will be their dads or their uncles, right? Guys a little bit older. And uh, I, again, you know, maybe I can hang out with, because, you know, I was 25. So I'm thinking 35-year-old isn't that old, which is funny even to think now. More than that. And then my third outlier market was their mums. Right. And so the guys I was targeting their moms because I knew their moms and their moms back in that time had interesting little side hustles. Right. They would do a little bit of real estate or some would be mortgage brokers or some would do like those home party type things. It would actually do pretty well when I targeted the guys my age, you know, when I had my I had my 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 sales pitch really slick. Right. I'm going to teach you how to make six figures your first year and then we're going to golf during the day. And the guys in my hometown, which is a place called Kalmoops, BC, it's an interior town about three hours north of Vancouver. They're like, hey, I don't want to start a business. I want to either get a job at the mill, which is Warehouser Paper and Pulp, or at Highland Valley Copper, which is a Tech and Minko Copper Mill. And so, you know, after about a month of banging my head against the door going, I can make you twice as much as you make 60 hours a week working 30, I kind of dismissed them. And then I went after their dads. Now, the problem was because I had had success in high school, you know, mowing these lawns, I was like a, like a poor man's Doogie Hauser of entrepreneurship <laughs> in Kamloops. And so, uh, and most of them knew me, right? I was, a, I was a pain in the butt as a kid, right? I was yeah, the yeah. one that was, you know. You were the one that got kicked out of school, right? Yeah, and I was, I was creating trouble at birthday parties, you know what I mean? Like, hey, you know, let's shave the dog. And so those guys were like, you know, you're, you're a crazy kid. I, I don't want anything to do with you. But, trouble, right? Right, yeah. but the moms, right? And so the moms 
moms were obviously very forgiving. They would come in for a for a coaching session. I didn't even know what that was called at the time, right? I was calling it kind of advisory services, teaching people how to open up markets. And the moms would come in, Steve, and a one-hour session felt like it was 10 minutes long. And they would come in with 10 or 15 questions they wanted to get covered. We would talk them through, assign homework. They would go in between sessions, do all the homework and come back and go, okay, I've got my sales from 1,200 to 1,900. What's the next step? And so, you know, I always say, thank God for unanswered prayers. The market that was my hedge was one of the most exceptional markets that was underserved. Uh, you know, there was just no programming really in place for women that focused on business development using a model of relationships, which of course I pulled out of the philosophy of the Japanese business model of only do business with people that you want to do business with for 30 years. And that, you know, that's really where the business took off. And like I said, in 2007, I was the only coach. That was the first year I brought on two coaches because I had sold Think Tank. I had some time and I was like, I don't, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do next. I brought, I converted two existing clients into coaches and all of a sudden magic started to happen. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, and let's talk a little bit about that. I know that um, you you have a process for bringing on coaches and, and criteria for them. And, and I just want to explore that a little bit and, and then maybe we'll get to the topic of the day, but, but um, let, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how do you, how do you teach these coaches how to coach? Well, you know, it starts with, and, and again, you know, we were coaching even before we knew what it was. I mean, America's coach was Tony Robbins, but it was all personal empowerment and it, really not what we do. The way I describe what we do is we're the mechanics of a business model. You bring your business model in, we have a good look at it. We tinker and tweak it. We teach you how to take care of it properly from a business development perspective, how to bring in clients. And we call it BEAR, B-E-A-R, business expansion, attraction, and retention. How do you make your business bigger? How do you attract the right clients? And how do you keep the clients that are your most profitable, the ones you enjoy? When I started to grow the company, the first two coaches I took for granted, right? Because these were clients that I'd had for a couple of years. So they knew how all the tools work. They knew the strategies. And so they just had to kind of regurgitate from what they had learned as a client, as a coach. But what I found is it's a very different uh, skill set of being able to understand information and then how to convey information. So I had taken a provincial instructor's uh, diploma back early on in the think tank days just to fulfill a, a contract. And so I sat down and figured out, you know, what do I want in an ideal coach? And a couple of things that we offer, which are a bit unique and make it difficult from a staffing perspective is we don't lock clients into any contracts clients pay month to month. And so they can leave at any point. Plus we can fire them at any point. If they're not doing the work required, we kind of let them go. The second thing, which is the catchy part is we guarantee results. So every month they're guaranteed to have growth as long as they follow the advice. And when I started, you know, uh, sifting through potential coaches, what I found is there's a lot of coaches that are great coaches, but they're great personal coaches. They really understand the human side and the motivation and making you feel good about yourself and overcoming that type of stuff. It's not us, right? We're not the huggers. We, uh, we're, the, we're the mechanics, right? And so when I started looking at what do I want in a go CL, you have to have built a multi-million dollar business before you join us. Coaching can't be your only thing, right? So all of the go CEOs have other business interests outside of coaching, limited to 40 clients. So you, coaching can't be your full-time thing. And, and the fourth and what I think is probably the most important is you have to have been to battle. 
It's very hard to teach somebody how to build a big business if you haven't done it yourself. And what I say is if you haven't been up, you know, for weeks at a time with your stomach upset, worried about how you're going to pay staff because a contract fell through, you really have no right being a go CEO. And so that's how we started to kind of find people. And it really came word of mouth when somebody would exit their business, somebody would exit, let's say at a, a five or a $10 million point, some at 50, some at three or four. Most entrepreneurs will think to themselves, I've got the money now, I'm going to just enjoy life. And I, and I was that guy, right? I exited Think Tank at a big chunk of money. My wife and I went to Italy for two months and I'm like, live in La Vida Doce or whatever. I mean, you can tell how I'm as good at school as I am Italian. And uh, about three weeks in, I'm like, this sucks, right? We're in Tuscany. I'm like, this blows. It's summer. You know, you're drinking nice wine. You're eating oh, great food. It's sunny. And I'm like, beautiful. Kill but I'm like, kill me. I'm a one hit wonder, right? This voice in my head, the critic is like, Chris, you, you know, it's like an Elon Musk rocket. It, bur it burned a little too early. You should have, you should have held it back a little bit. And so, uh, you know, it, with that in my head, what I realized is most business owners, when they exit, unless they're, you know, more mature, I think if I had mature, if I had mature, um, exited it, like I'm, I'm pushing 50 now, that might have been a bit different, but people in 40s, 50s even are like, I've still got 20 or 30 years of runway. What am I going to do? The yeah. people that were always client focused, those are people that tend to make great go CEOs. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I, I really resonate that with that, you know, because I, I retired from my corporate gig at 59. And right. I figured I got another 20 years, right. um, you know, at least yes. um, probably 30. If, if I'm, you know, take care of myself. And, and, uh, so, so, so let's, let's switch to that. You, you talked about the critic in your head and, and, and that clearly had, a, had an impact on, uh, what you did. Um, and, and we spoke before the show started about, you know, the, the empowering your visionary and, and silencing your critic. So let's talk about the voices in your head. Well, you know, and so th this is something I struggled with and, and I always thought I was the only one. And then as I have these conversations with people, they're like, I got the same thing going. And so when I look at it, you know, when we're kids, you know, we say, I say to Steve, Hey Steve, and let's say I'm a five-year-old, I'm going to be an astronaut and I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to be a business owner. And I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a janitor. I'm going to be a tap dancer. And everyone in society goes, yes, you can be anything you want to be. And so, you know, that is what, I mean, I think that's why kids are so happy, right? They're, you know, the, 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 the world is your oyster. But then as we get to high school and I have a high school, I have two kids in high school now, and I see the world starting to compact them in, right? I got a, a one in grade 11 and one in grade eight. And like in, in grade eight, they're like, you have to start thinking about a university and you have to think about a career and you have to think about where you want to live and you have to think about what you want to make and all this stuff. And I, I keep on saying to my kids, like, write your future in pencil, not pen right? You don't even know what you don't know yet. And so enjoy the ride a little bit. But the visionary is the person in your head, and it's you, right? That says you could be an astronaut, and you can be a doctor, and you can work at Intel, and you can fly in a hot air balloon, and you can pilot a space plane. The critic is the person goes, don't be ridiculous, right? You're not a child anymore, right? Don't be ridiculous. You can go to that university. Your grades aren't good enough. Don't be ridiculous. You can't start a business because you have two kids. I believe that there's two distinct voices we all have in our heads. And, I, you, know, you know, to be blunt, I am unbelievably successful. And so there is nothing that the critic should have be able to say in my head that troubles me. And yet I have to tell the critic to shut up every morning. Every morning, I'm mindful to shut up that part of my brain. And so that visionary today, when you're an adult, that's the one that says you were a good dad yesterday. 
You're going to make your cold calls and you're going to help some people today. You're going to help, you know, maybe, you know, people that you come across that you're not a fit for, you're going to find them the right place to be, right? We're not going to just drop them. And we say, leave everyone better than you find them. For those that don't fit for us, we try to find them a place. The critic says people are taking advantage of you. You got to protect your time right? You are working too much, which means your kids aren't seeing enough of you. If you don't get on the road, your business is going to plummet. Like it's all the henny penny naysayer type stuff. I believe that a big chunk of success is empowering the visionary to tell you what can be and telling the critic. And, you know, like you said, Steve, before you got, you go, how do we get rid of the critic? You, you don't, you smother it right? Every morning you stick a pillow on its face, hoping that it'll die and you take it off the gasp and then it just comes back even stronger. What I've found is with success, right? And success just comes from hard work, right? I don't believe in the whole natural born, natural born people. I've seen a lot of exceptional people that haven't done well. And I've seen a lot of average people, myself included, that have done really well just because of kind of the hustle. As you get more kind of rungs on your belt and wins under your belt, it's easier to silence the critic. But I can tell you that literally this morning, yesterday morning, probably tomorrow morning, I get up around 4, 6. Y yesterday morning, I got up at 7. And the first thing I thought is, man, you're lazy. Wow, you're lazy, right? And then when I get up at 4.30, I'm like, you got to sleep. Like, what are you doing? Are you right? doing You're going to have our yeah. And so I think if we're all honest about it, those two voices. And so I'm like, shut up, shut up. I was in Vancouver last week. I should have left early. Right. And it's not that I was going to be late for my meeting. I wasn't going to be as early as I anticipated I was going to be. And so I beat myself up over stuff that isn't even, it isn't even a thing. And so if you can start to, because we all hear those voices, the first step we get clients to do, and again, we don't do any kind of soft skill type stuff with clients. But what we'll say is when you say something to yourself, ask who it is. And so if I go, geez, I should go for that. I think it's a great opportunity. That's not the critic. That's the visionary saying you're lined up. But if you see, oh, geez, it closes Friday and it's Monday. I won't have any time to do it. And so I'm just going to let it go. That's not the voice on your team. That's the voice playing against you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. You know, the, the, um, I've done a little bit of reading in this, in this space, the, the book by Shirzad Shamin called positive intelligence. Mm. And he talks about the judge, right. Mm. As being the primary voice of the critic, if you will, always judging whether you're good enough or whether you've done the right thing or, you know, that, that kind of, um, and, and then, and then he says, you have a couple of accomplice saboteurs he mm. calls them saboteurs um and and for me it's the stickler uh mm. the the you know he has he has nine personas right but 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 you know the stickler the the, the perfectionist mm. right um and and uh you know so it's it's uh, a really interesting perspective that you know you need to and, and he talks about the sage voices, which you referred to as the visionary, right? Mm -hmm. That the 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 explorer, mm. the the innovator, the activator, the and, and and so there are different personas in that in that sphere as well. And it really resonates with what you're saying. Right. That, um, some people talk about the imposter syndrome. Right. Um, but but the the uh 
the other the the other the other piece of this right is you know really being clear on what drives you right and making mm-hmm. sure that when you hear that visionary you're you're lined up with with where you want to go right where do you want to be right well the imposter uh, syndrome is actually key because we hear that from clients all the time is, especially when they get big, which is always shocking to me, you know, there'll be at three or 4 million in revenue and they're like, I'm not supposed to be here. And I'm like, I'm not supposed to be here either. And so embrace the imposter. And so don't go, geez, I hope people don't find out, let them find out. Right. I almost flunked grade 10 English and Mrs. McKinnon, God rest her soul said to me, I'm going to give you a social pass, which is, a pass so I don't have to have you in my class again. <laughs> so, yeah, because right. it's not a big enough school that somebody else would get you right. next year. So right? I'm going to give you a social pass if you promise me you'll never do a career that requires writing. And so, so, I, always, yeah, yeah. so I always had that in my head. So first book hits the New York Times bestsellers list. <laughs> Did and you send so, her a copy? No, because she was already passed away oh, then, bad. right? <laughs> but in my mind, I thought, oh, geez, what if people find out that I was really bad at English. Right. And I stepped into it, Steve, where I'm like, that's hilarious that she totally knew, right? Like, I'm not saying she read me wrong. I'm a great storyteller and a terrible writer. And so she totally read that. But in my mind, I love telling people the story of getting a social pass in grade 10, which to me illustrates the fact, even if you think you're crappy at something with the right strategy, it'll actually turn out pretty good. And so I love what you said about imposter syndrome because most people suffer from it because they're scared of what people will think. And what's the old adage? We're all worried about what people will think. And when we get older, we realize nobody was thinking about us anyway. They were thinking about themselves. <laughs> of course. Right? And so it's so liberating from the imposter side. That's why I joke about where I come from, right? Back when I was, you know, up and coming, I would say, because we lived in Vancouver, oh yeah, I'm based in Vancouver. Like I wouldn't even want to bring up my hometown. And now like my university, I was actually saying when I, when I talked to your daughter, my university is called Thompson river university. So that's what it's called now. But when I graduated from there, it was called university college of the caribou caribou as the in caribou. Yeah. as in deer <laughs> mammal in the interior. Right. And so it was, and my, and my dad took welding there 20 years before it was known for welding and vet assistant. That's what my university college was known as. And so now that it's fancy and it's got a great law school, it kind of takes away a bit of the fun of, yeah, I could have been a welder. Instead, I got a a, a Bachelor of Arts. Yeah. Yeah. A degree in in pottery. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. You know, it is funny how we're, we're really afraid of what other people think. Right. And, and I think the critic and, and, and sure, part of this is the negative bias of our brain, right? That, that, you know, and when we were cave dwellers, we were worried about, you know, the tiger eating us. And so we had to have that negativity bias. Right. Today, things are, you know, most of the time it's not life and death. Right. But our brain doesn't know that. And, and so being so paralyzed with fear, um, I, I, I'm reminded of one of the things my father used to tell me. He said, don't tell me worrying doesn't help. The things I worry about never happen. 
Oh, that is awesome. I'm actually going to write that down. That is very good. So, right. So, so yeah, we, we, we put, we create all of these stories in our head about what could or might happen. And it prevents us from taking the first step. Well, you know, when you said fear, what popped into my head is I'm driven by fear, but I feel like I have mastered fear. So back in the early days, my fear was leaving the utility job that was everyone's dream job in my circle, right? The guys that wanted to work at the, at the pill, at the mill and the mine. And so my fear was, I'm going to have jumped hoping the net would appear and I'm going to free fall splat and end up working at the mill or the, or the mine. What was interesting is that drove me not because I was worried what people thought, although I'm sure that played a role, but the thought that betting on myself was a bad bet. And so like, like in my heart, it even feels heavy when I think about that. And it must be like residual from what would have been sitting there. But you know, Steve, what's interesting now is because money is not a motivator to me, right? It's just, it's a scoreboard piece now. It's not, I'm not, I'm not aspiring to buy things. January 1st, every year, I, I make myself, I do a little mental game with myself and I go this year, I need to make the money that will support my family the rest of their lives. I'm starting at zero. And so that's what keeps me from being lazy, critic voice, right? But I think to myself, I have 12 months to generate wealth that will cover my family the rest of their lives. Should I be, should I die on December 31st at midnight? And what I find is whenever I'm feeling lazy, see that word always pops up into my head is, and I don't want to go out on tour. I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. I'm like, Chris, you have seven months left. Yeah, four months left. Like I looked December 1st and I'm like, I got 30 days left. And it is me falsifying fear to put a fire under my bum so that I don't uh, I don't mail it in. So I think fear can be an active motivator as long as you're controlling it, not yeah. being controlled by it. Right. As long as it doesn't prevent action. Yes. And that's, you hopefully motivate. And we always say our favorite client in the world is a single mom with four kids because failure is not an option. Feeding your exactly. kids is a must. And so it's not like, geez, do I feel like picking up the phone or not? They're, they're making the phone calls because they have to. And so there's magic to that. There is, there is. And, and, and that's, you know, the, the, the other piece, right? You, you want to set goals. You want to set, you know, stretch goals, but, but, you know, if, if fear of arriving or, or fear of failure, right? Like you're falling off and, and, and landing in the net or not landing in a net, right. And having to wind up back where you were. I mean, if you paint the picture of, well, what's the worst that could happen if I take that step and everything falls apart? Well, you still had the welding job you could have fallen back on, but of course you weren't thinking that way. Well, and, and, and we often, and, and well, we and the, yeah, the worst case scenario is often the scenario you're in. So a client yes. will say, I don't want to call the prospect. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, because they might not buy from me. And I'm like, they're not buying from you now. So worst case scenario you're in right now, it only goes up. And then they're like, oh, and I'm like, it doesn't get worse than them not buying. They're not buying now. And yeah. then they're like, bing, like yeah, they have in yeah. their head. I love what you're saying, Steve. You're dead on. Yeah. It reminds me of another, another one of my father's say, sayings. Um, you know what the answer is if you don't ask. Right. Jeez. Hold on. I can't believe I'm making notes during this. That is great. So, so yeah, my dad was full of all kinds of wisdoms like that. Um, that, but 
you know, again, it's it's taking the step. And the other thing that I've discovered in, in talking with lots of my clients and, and other coaches, right, is that don't worry about whether or not it's exactly the right direction. Right. If you're 10 degrees off, you can course correct. Right. I can be willing to bet that no entrepreneur is going to want to go this way and take his his or her, her first step that way. Right. It's going to be close. Well, and it's going to navigate, right? Like we say progression, yeah. not perfection, right? So you don't have to go from, I'm scared of making cold calls to calling a thousand people a day. What will start them off is just call somebody, you know, you haven't talked to for a while. And they're like, well, what's that going to do? It's going to do more than what you're doing now. And it's progression. So I don't want you to become Usain Bolt. I want you to put on your runners and walk around the track for 10 minutes. And so that's the, you know, progression, not because you were talking about like that perfection yeah. mindset, right? That, I guess that's the benefit of being a, a crappy student is I never really had that where I'm like, geez, I've got to get straight A's. I'm like, I don't, my, my kids, when they get straight A's, I'm like, I don't know that I ever got an A in school, like from kindergarten on. And so, yeah, so I certainly don't have that. I've been gifted not having that on my, on my requirements. So thanks. Thanks so much, Chris. My uh, pleasure. That concludes our show for today. Uh, thanks to my guest, Chris Flett, the founder of The Ghost CEO. And I hope you learned something about controlling those voices in your head. I know I did. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Profit Minds podcast. This is your host, Dr. Stephen Kirch. Please visit www.profitminds.net for other episodes or to contact me. Thank you for your positive feedback, comments, questions, and for sharing this show with others. Thanks for listening. Have a grateful day.